Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. This is Bill Koch, sports writer for the Journal, uh, in my Warwick home office on this lovely Friday morning outside. I am on Zoom with my two co-conspirators. Uh, first, the sports director at WPRI and Fox Providence, Maury Hirsch-Gordon. Maury, how are we doing, babe? Two pods in one week? What? Let's go. Let's go. On. That must mean it's rivalry week. Let's go. He is correct, folks. Rivalry week, and that is why we are back with you. My other co-conspirator, the sports director at ABC6, the weekend co-host of Cordishi and Coit on WEI Providence, Nick Coit. Ladies and gentlemen, Coity, how are we living? Uh, I am going to be uh, refreshed being able to talk about hoops and not wasting gas on that football team that played in Foxborough last night. So this is uh, this is a nice, nice thing, fellas. Good. The, the disgust in his voice, folks, that's going to translate to some venom when it comes to college hoops here, we hope. Uh, you know, I am going to officially say that the Patriots season is over after that Thursday night loss to the Bills. I do not see any way back for New England to get into the AFC playoffs. And so I personally will be turning full attention to our college basketball schedule. And what better time to do it with two big rivalry games coming up Friday night and Saturday night. That's why we are taping this special edition Everybody else is out of the show. Uh, we will start with Bryant hosting Brown Friday night, 6 p.m. at the Chase Center. That game will be on ESPN+. Plus. For folks who have the digital package for ESPN, you'll be able to tune in. There are limited tickets available as of Friday morning. I would suggest if you have the night off, and maybe you have a couple kids and you like to see an entertaining product, get to the Chase Center tonight because this one is going to be a barn burner. If last year's is any indication, 65-59 win for Bryant at Brown, a game that was gritty, possession by possession, hotly contested. It was everything a rivalry game should be, wasn't it, guys? Yeah, it was. Um, and, yeah, these are these are two teams. It's it's really fun when they match up. Um, you know, we were talking with, uh, with Bryant earlier in the week, and um, – you know, just hearing, um, you know, Charles Pride talk about his first game when Brandon Anderson hit a shot, you know, at the Chase Center, and that was fun. And then last year with, you know, kind of grinding it out with Chris Childs and whatnot. It, uh, yeah, this is always really, really fun. Um, and I just, I love that the calendar has one rivalry game Friday, one rivalry game Saturday. This is the way it should be. They should schedule this every year. Jared Grosso said so. I think it's a great, great thing for hoops in the state. Yeah, it's really a tip of the cap to Mike Martin, Jared Grasso. Last year, um, you know, sometimes it's tough to schedule. It's tough to find, you know, similar dates to play each other. They were buried on that Saturday uh, of Thanksgiving weekend. You know, everyone's still with family. Everyone's still with friends. They still have obligations. But to flex this out, to push it out after the holiday, let all the teams play their games in November. Let them play their MTE events and their conference mandated games. Um, yeah, this is this is tremendous um, to really get it started. It's really like the unofficial start, uh, unofficial official start of college basketball here, especially with high school football season in the rear view. You sort of know where your NFL team lies, and with us, the Patriots, like Bill said off the top, probably going to be done here at six and six. So uh, it's full steam ahead now. Now it's college basketball front and center. 
It's a great point. And, and really, you know, the two legacy teams in the state, obviously, are PC and URI, and, and they'll get most of the headlines. And if you had to choose between a game to cover and they were playing on the same night, you go to PC URI. You would not go to Bryant Brown. That That's just the way it works. You know, you got more eyes on PC URI than you would on Bryant Brown. So very smart by both coaches, uh, not only to find a standalone date for it, but to use it as a little bit of a lead in you know, to sort of tie it together into that rivalry theme. I, I think it's really good. Um, a smart bit of marketing by Jared Grasso and, and Mike Martin, uh, you know, and we find Bryant, the host of this game at seven and one uh, on fire coming off a win at Syracuse that should change their program. in in terms of national uh, perspective, uh, another win over Framingham state division three team in the middle of the week, as Maury points out, uh, and has pointed out in previous editions on the pod, the first Division One team to visit Bryant this season, and it comes on December second. That's how difficult scheduling has been for the Bulldogs. You you lose two games uh, going from the NEC to the America East. You go from twenty conference games to eighteen. Now you have to schedule thirteen non-conference games. You're stuck with Division Threes from Maine and from Massachusetts and from wherever else. And now you finally get one of the two New England coaches who thought it worthwhile enough to play you. Um, you know, and so I think there is respect there between Jared Grasso and Mike Martin simply because they give each other the forum to play a game. And, uh, you know, I can really appreciate that. Um, but Bryant playing really well, guys. Very talented team. Um, and they'll open up, you know, maybe a nine, ten-point favorite in this game. Uh, you know, and, and the way they've been playing, I, I mean – you just sense that they're building momentum so much earlier than they did last season. Yeah. I, I think, I, yeah, I think it was a 10 point favorite, by the way, I'll just point that out. Go ahead, more. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. 10. Yeah. I think, I think I saw 10 too. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and you also think about it, like, you know, students are still, students are back. They've got a couple of weeks until, uh, until they go on winter break. So it's either study for finals on the first weekend of December or it's go to the chase uh, and uh, and watch some hoops. So it's a pretty easy decision in my eyes. Um, six o'clock is also a great time. Get a little darty. Uh, sun goes down an earlier tip, and then you still have the whole night ahead of you at eight o'clock after the game's over. Uh, but man, it should be a great atmosphere in there. I just looked back last year: eight hundred and seventy-four people in the pits um, because of that of that tough time. And and now you know, hopefully, we trend toward a, a sellout at the chase and. Uh, Bryant playing much better. Obviously, uh, you know, you, you get the win against Syracuse. They've popped early. Remember on the pod last year, we said, well, Bryant, you know, could have this gaudy win-loss record if they beat everybody in the non-conference and they, you know, run the table or, or close to in the NEC. They could go 27-3. and three. Well, that's sort of what this team is, is shaping up to be right now, right? Like, you, you picked off Syracuse. You're now favored in this game against Brown. And maybe outside of Cincinnati and Tulane, they could go 10 and two in the non-conference. So um, yeah, this team has definitely peaked earlier than last year's, but it's a completely different team. It's a deeper team than, than Brown saw last year. Uh, maybe not the top star power um, with Peter kiss gone, but um, definitely will be a handful for Mike Martin squad. Yeah. To that point, uh, you know, Brown, when they played Bryant last year, Bryant had lost to Bethune Cookman was about to lose to Dartmouth and was about to lose by 67 at Houston. I don't see any of those three results happening with the current version of Bryant and, and with the version of Bryant that ended last season, Coity. Uh, I mean, 
you know, it was a, a really good time for Brown to catch them and a really different Brian team than what we see right now. Well, and that's why when we were talking with Jared Grosso earlier in the week, you know, Bill, we were asking about how, you know, this team has been able to form an identity early on this season. Um, we mentioned it on the previous podcast too, the fact that, you know, they, they didn't go through some of the things they went through last year early on with suspensions and with illness and things like that. They've been able to be on the floor together since the summer, and you can see it. There's a lot of synergy there. There's a lot of roles established. There's a lot of guys that, you know, they brought them in and they they said, okay, Antoine Walker, this is what you're going to do for us. Earl Timberlake, this is what you're going to do for us. Um, and you're going to work this hard because we have a guy like Charles Pride who he works this hard, so you're all going to work this hard, and you're seeing the results. I thought it was striking when we talked to Earl Timberlake this week, too, that you know we were asking him about the first couple of days of practice, getting into the program, whatever. First of all, you can tell he's got huge respect for, for Jared Grosso. But second of all, he said, like, wow, this is how hard they practice here? Mm. Wow, okay. And now, and he sort of said, like, now the games themselves and having the stamina to go 40 minutes, however long he's playing – it's a lot easier because of the way that they practice. And so, and those guys have bought into that and you can see that on the floor. And that's why they've had all the early success. Um, not to make another professor joke too, but just to speak to a thing that, that Maury said, you know, if you are a student and you've gotten your work done already and early for the semester, done your last quiz, done your last assignment, then you have nothing to worry about with these rivalry games this weekend. You know, there are certain professors that make it very easy for you. So just a message to all the, the students out there. This this needs to be a staple week in and week out. We need to somehow get <laughs> Professor Coit in for 15 or 20 seconds to give a little academic advice for all of the students out there at the four schools that listen. <laughs> Coit is speaking to his class through through the <laughs> podcast. He, he really is. He, he is. It's fantastic. I just keep saying you have Ultra a chance stick to get to it done early. Slovis. Go find outside that's, resources. That's right. There's there's ways to get it done early. You don't have to worry about it. Early Christmas, Merry Christmas. For Professor Coit's corner, 30-second segment. You know, start <laughs> the stopwatch. Here we go. Coit just speaks directly to his journalism class at URI and says, Listen, you slackers. Register <laughs> for the final exam or you fail. <laughs> really that simple. Really is. More. There's only one more week to do it, folks. I, Get on it. You know, and being friends with Coit, like I have been for a little while, I can't imagine a student failing his class where Coit has to like put his foot down and say, guys, really? Really? You're going to fail my class? Mm-hmm. It's impossible. How do you that's fail kinda, my class? Really? Kinda what I've, that's kind of what I've been trying to tell him. But, you know, uh, I know. it is what it is. I, <laughs> The college student I was. I would have found a way to, to push failing your class. I was, <laughs> uh, I mean, really, just awful. It was so I sympathize with your undergrads. I, I really do. Um, and back to the game, obviously, Bryant being who they are, uh, you figure they're going to try to push pace. You know, Brown is trying to play a little faster this year because they are a little thin in the front court and their best players are guards. Last year, Brown managed to get this game slowed down, and I think that's a big reason why they were in it. Um, they managed to make it possession by possession and really gritty and in the mud, uh, and it served them well at Pizzatola Center. I wonder if, because they're trying to play faster this year, their natural tendency would be to try to run with Bryant. I think that'd be a really bad idea. Bryant's a top-five pace team in the country. If you're trying to run with them, they are generally better at doing that 
than you will be, whether you're Brown or anybody else. And so I'm I'm interested in what sort of game plan Mike Martin might have tonight. Um, you look at the Bears and you know their recent games. They've won three out of four after losing their first three. They should have a reasonable amount of confidence coming into this one. Their last one, 59-51 at Central Connecticut, uh, a game that was you know, a bit of a grinder. It wasn't the prettiest thing you'll ever see. Uh, but any road win in college basketball is a good one, and Bryant managed to get it done in New Britain. Keno Lilly Jr. had 16 points. He's had 48 in his last two games, both victories. You like to see him taking leadership of this team. Uh, I really like Paxson Wojcik and, and his aggression. The last couple games, he's had 11 points back-to-back and 13 rebounds combined in two games. I think he's really important in this one in, in terms of what he's able to give Brown with respect to toughness. Uh, so I'm curious, Coit, we'll start with you because you were there uh, for the main game last weekend. Do you see Brown maybe as a team that physically is going to be able to give Brian a little bit of a push, a little bit of a challenge in this one? Ah, uh, that's an interesting question. Um, yeah, because I've been trying to think of how this game might be played because I, I, I do think I, I wonder if Mike's going to try to keep up with them because I think when Brown is at its best, they're pushing the pace, they're taking care of the basketball, and they're shooting the three well. Mike has said all along that he believes in his team's three point shooting. Right, even early on, they had some struggles, but Mike was like, "They're going to find it. These kids are too good. Lily's too good." Wojcik's too good. Like they can shoot the three. Perry Cowan, we saw in Central Connecticut, you know, came out and hit a few threes. Like that's a kid that if he gets hot off the bench, he's going to really help them. But physically, I, 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 it's an interesting matchup because, you know, it's, it's, I think for Bryant, the, the front court of, of Walker and, you know, and having, having a guy like Earl Timberlake there as a, you know, swing in the, in the middle, it, it's, it's interesting to see, okay, who do you match up with who, right? Like, I think Walker and maybe Nana are going to be, you know, butting a little bit there. Yeah, and then um, Kramer off the bench against Malachi Nadir, something like right. that. Yeah, and then the other, the other interesting thing would probably be like maybe is it Timberlake? You know, is it is it him versus a guy like Kalu Anya? You know, matchup wise, and that's interesting to me because I I actually think I think Kalu could be uh, is an interesting guy in this matchup um, because I think as a young player. We've seen some flashes of why Brown really liked him, you know, in the preseason. And we've seen some really good performances out of him so far. And I think Brown's going to need that if they're going to compete with Bryant tonight. You know, and that's a lot to put on a freshman. But I think Kalu is he's handled it so far. Physically, the tools are definitely there for him to be a, you know, a really good player for Brown here for the next four years. His athleticism plays in a game like this. And also yeah. the three-point the three point shooting point that you make, Bryant is 307 nationally in three-point defense. So you figure Brown is going to have some looks. If there their perimeter go. guys are patient enough and find open spots, they're going to be able to have some looks in this one, more. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. They have the athletes uh, to compete. I think they are a little bit short at the center position or, or power forward position in terms of uh, – you know, Nana Usu and Ane, but you know, other than that, I think they can keep up. A couple things I had written down for Brown, in addition to the control, the pace, they they, they got to stay competitive on the glass. I don't really see a scenario where Brown out rebounds Bryant, but if you can keep it to minus three, minus five, minus eight, you can probably get away with it. Um, and maybe 
Uh, just maybe if you slow the game down enough, uh, you try to play it in the half court, maybe Bryant starts to shoot the ball a little bit earlier in the shot clock. They get a little frustrated. You, you can get a couple offensive rebounds. You keep it close. If you start to go up and down and Bryant's missing shots and then they have guys swooping in down the court, their forwards as they come down and they're grabbing boards and they're jam- putting home put back jams and you know they're, they're putting back easy laps, I think then Brown could sort of get lost in the sauce. My other thing that I had written down was you got to find a, a third or fourth score. You know what mm-hmm. what Keno Lilly Jr. is going to do on the scouting report. You know what uh, Awusu Anane will do down low. And Paxson Wojcik is a fifth-year senior at this point. Can can a guy like Dan Friday step up if he plays? Can Perry Cowan have a performance that you envisioned four years ago when you brought him to the east side? Can Kimo Ferrari put in a couple threes? Like, there's just that unknown piece of – and that, and sometimes like rivalry games bring that out in guys, right? You, you never know. Maybe it's Kaluanya, the freshman, comes out with a fifteen and fifteen game. Last year we saw Tamaning Cho pull down twenty one boards. I wouldn't be surprised to see Kaluanya push twenty boards if he was yeah. really flying all over the place and stayed out of foul trouble. So um, you, you just have to find that other, that missing piece that Bryant isn't expecting uh, to come in and, and have such a major impact. You mentioned the glass, the best number that Bryant has, according to Ken Palm. They are fifth nationally in defensive rebound percentage. Opponents only get 19% of their misses on the offensive glass. And that's really important when you're going up against guys like Kramer, Timberlake, Walker, uh, Josh Ozebor, if he gets into this game as, as maybe a fourth Charles goal. Pride. Charles Pride can get on the glass. Yeah. You know, Bryant has the athletes up front. They have a couple extra guys that Brown might not have. And if they decide to swarm the glass on the offensive end, Brown needs to do a really good job of keeping them off. Uh, because you figure that you know Brian is going to force the pace. They are going to get some baskets in transition. I'm sure Mike is going to say to his guys before the game, look, we don't want them to do that, but it's not the end of the world if they get a couple layups. Don't be demoralized by that. That's how they play. What we really want to do is limit – live ball turnovers and don't let them run it out as much as maybe they would against an overmatched opponent. Don't give them second and third chances at the rim because that's where these games spread out. If you look in the box score, generally the numbers I jump to are second chance points, points off turnovers. Those are the physical stats. Those say to me that one team is imposing their will on the other, whether it's on the glass or defensively making you uncomfortable. And so I think those are two really key areas to watch tonight. Well, and I think this is all it's it's an interesting point about the rebounding, too, because I think it it speaks to the fact that Brown needs to make the most of its first chances, you know, and its opportunities that it has offensively. And the reason I say that is I think they did a good job of that when they were home against Maine. I think that was 16 assists in that game was a season high. And that, to me, spoke to, you know, the really good sharing of the basketball and the really good looks that they were getting. I think that really led to. Keno Lilly having the career day that he had because he was getting good looks. Even the first half, he might have missed a few shots, whatever. But I just, I really liked Brown's offense in that game. And so, you know, if you are potentially going to get beat on the glass, then you need to make the most of your first chances. And if Brown can do that the way they did that against Maine, then I think it it bodes well for the Bears. Yeah, you need to win the game in, in other areas. And if they do splash threes, you know, if Mike is confident in his team and his team can come through, they're still only shooting it at 34.2% on the year from deep. But if this is the game where they flash and they hit 43 or 44% of their threes and they make 
10 to 12 of them, then then the Bears will find themselves in it uh, come the stretch run. Yeah, how do those numbers connect? You look at last year's box, Brown had six assists, 16 turnovers, three for 18 from three. There you go. So they do connect in terms of how you play on the perimeter, how you share the ball, the comfortable spots on the floor where you might find a teammate as opposed to maybe a spot where he doesn't really want the ball makes all the difference in terms of your offensive efficiency. Uh, gentlemen, care to offer a prediction on this one? Maury? Caught me by <laughs> surprise there, Kashi. Um, let me talk a little bit about Bryant first, and, and that'll morph into my prediction. Okay, um, good. <clears throat> so I think um, I think a couple keys for Bryant. You got to bury Brown early. Um, mm. Br- Brown has finally found itself the last couple games, and they're going to come in with some confidence. If they can be in a hostile environment, I'd put it at the most ho- the, the the most hostile environment that they'll face all season. Maybe when they go to Michigan State, just because it's a Big Ten arena, but that's even going to be during um, winter break. There, Brown probably won't draw a huge crowd in East Lansing. This, I, I'll put it as going to be the best crowd, especially on the road. If if Bryant can bury them early, then you kind of you, you take a shot at them and. Um, maybe they don't respond, and then you got you got to get the crowd involved. Conversely, um, you know, so so that you have that sixth man um, that Brown isn't used to going on the road and facing. Uh, and Brian's got to run. Brian's deeper than Brown. Um, you know, when Brown comes in off the bench, if it's an Aaron Cooley, you know, he's a little thin. If you bring in Kimo Ferrari, he's a nice player. He's a little small. So they just don't necessarily have the depth to keep up with Bryant. So if you can run, if you can get them in foul trouble, if you can get heavy legs, I think that bodes, uh, you know, to to Bryant's side. I, I think Bryant ultimately wins this game. Um, it's with the 10-point line. Um, I could see, I could see, I'd probably, if I was putting money on the game, I'd probably swallow the points, even though that's a lot of points. Um, I, I think that's, that's the smartest money. There's just too many unknowns with Brown right now at this point, And there are too many knowns with Bryant. Like you see the win at Syracuse. Um, you see them put up 140 on a D3 team. Like they go down to Florida, they lose the first and then they go and, and they win the next two. Like there's just too many things that Bryant has done early that Brown hasn't. For me, if I was trying to make the smartest investment, I'd probably swallow the points. Um, I wouldn't be sh- actually. You know what? I would be shocked if Brown won the ball game outright. Let me just put it out there. I'd be shocked if Brown won the ball game. Um, there's ways they could stay in it, as we talked about, if they can get the three ball rolling. But I'd say. Bryant wins the game. I'd swallow the points. I could see a 14 to 16 point win as well. Interesting. Okay. I'll go. I'm going to go Bryant. Uh, Yeah, I think Bryant wins this game. I think it makes too much sense. Um, You know, I think Brown has uh, found itself a bit. Uh, I think it's, it's leveled off in terms of their, you know, three point shooting is coming around like Mike Martin had predicted. Um, I think they are battle tested. Um, I think Brown's schedule has been difficult to start when you start with Vermont, when you start with Colgate, when you start with these good mid-major teams. So yeah. playing a team like Bryant, I think Brown has the experience so far. And so that's why I would probably, I'll predict slightly under, I'll probably say Bryant by nine. I think Brown stays in it. I think they, the the intensity of the atmosphere, I think keeps it 
fairly close. Um, but I think Bryant kind of has a lead, keeps its distance a little bit. Brown makes it interesting, makes a couple of threes, you know, stays in it. But, you know, ultimately, I think the, the Bulldogs win on their home court, but not not in the total runaway. Yeah, Ken Palm gives Bryant an 81% chance to win the game. I'm going to go with the majority. I'll say the Bulldogs will win. I think they'll cover with some late free throws. Could get to like, you know, 12, 13, somewhere in there. Uh, yeah. yeah, I could see like an 81, 68, something like that, where there's a couple free throws in the last minute that push it over. You know, Brown misses a three, they foul. Bryant makes a free throw or two. Brown misses another three, they foul. Something along those lines. But I do think it will be competitive, and I think Coit makes a very good point. Brown has seen teams like this already. At Vermont, Colgate at home, very good, battle-tested, mid-major NCAA-type teams uh, with talented rosters. Uh, And I I think Colgate especially was a much bigger team than Brown was, uh, much like Bryant. And and so I think that's, uh, that's important. That, that you've had that physical representation, those bodies in front of you. I, I think that's important. I think that will help Brown be competitive in this game. Uh, ultimately, I do think that Bryant will have a little bit too much uh, and continue its role at the start of this season. The following night, we will be in Kingston uh, for the renewal of the grudge match there, Providence and URI. Uh, Coit, I will not refer to them by our private names for the fan base as well. <laughs> I'll keep those off the podcast. Uh, the Friars and Rams will tip at 5 p.m. at the Ryan Center. That game is on ESPNU, a national broadcast, and quite deserving because this game is worthy of that sort of platform. Uh, we've seen Bill, it at what's question. That? Did you see it was well, at Archie Miller's press conference yesterday? Was Coach Welsh there? He was. I think he's on the call. That's what I thought. I I would assume so. That's Uh, great. Tim Welsh was in the house, the former Friar coach and ESPN analyst, uh, Coit's fellow weekend co-host on WBI with John Meter Perel uh, Sunday mornings. Um, Yes, Coach Welsh will be on the call. Uh, Unbiased, of course. Unbiased. Coach Welsh, (laughs) right down the middle. Sure. Um, The Friars and Rams renewing hostilities. and, And, you know, I think back to... 2016, 2017, 2018, late Dan Hurley and how tight these games were and how hotly contested they were. Uh, You think back to, um, you know, very early on in Dan's tenure when you or I wasn't that good and PC still won by a point at the Ryan Center and only scored 50. Uh, So no matter what you think of these two rosters or where they are in various stages of building or rebuilding or maintaining This game tends to deliver, particularly in Kingston. Uh, I said to a friend the other day, I think the Ryan Center is one of the better atmospheres I've been in in college basketball when they fill it up. I think the dunk really, maybe down the stretch in 1920 before COVID. The what, Bill? uh, What'd you call it? What'd you call it? Dunk. I did. (laughs) did. If I was my father, I would have called it the Civic Center. Uh The dunk. The amp. Sorry, but it was the dunk last year. Not the and first time, won't be the last. Yeah, it was yeah, the dunk. Yeah. Um, those atmospheres toward the end of last season and toward the end of 1920, I think they started to approach the Ryan Center and equal it, but I don't necessarily know how often I've seen uh, the AMP that way. You know, just and, and I think the students have a lot to do with that at the AMP. 
I think PC students have really dialed it up in the last, you know, coming out of COVID. I think they've been great. Uh, and that gives it an atmosphere. It's not the adults. It, it's the students. Uh, it's the younger alumni. Um, it's the people who are just going to have more passion. It, it's not the folks who've been there for three or four generations. Uh, you know, and the Ryan Center just sort of has that feel. It's tighter. It's, uh, you know, seats are close to the court. Feels like a cauldron. I know Ed Cooley doesn't like going there. I know Providence does not like going there. Uh, I know that URI loves having the game there uh, and, and never felt like the Civic Center, the old Civic Center, was a true home court for them. Uh, so we arrive at this first edition of this rivalry. Uh, the books that I've seen have it anywhere between four and five points. PC favored. They're coming off a loss at TCU the other night in the Big East Big 12 battle. They played most recently. That was 75-62. Uh, the Friars are five and three, and and honestly, as, as Maury has pointed out, and I think he's correct. Even if Providence wins this game, they don't have much of a non-conference resume for the NCAA tournament at this point. This is almost a must-win metrically. This would be a bad loss for the Friars. They can't really afford one, can they? No, they can't. I mean, your your best win in your non-conference schedule would be over a team that's probably going to finish close to five hundred in the A ten, middle of the pack. Yuck. Um, I think uh, coming into this game, it's really interesting. You, you talk about there's so many different ways you could go here, but it's such a blank canvas. I think this is, sure, every time there's new players, you can say it's the next chapter in the great rivalry. This is, I think, a line of demarcation. It's like, all right, Ed Cooley's not going anywhere, and he's got a friend now on the other side, Archie Miller, who seems like he'll be at URI for the long haul. No Providence players have donned the black and white and have gone to Kingston and played for the Friars in this game. Only Ed Croswell and only Clifton Moore have played at the Ryan Center. Both were with LaSalle, this two school school that they were previously at. It's been three years since the game was in Kingston. The fan bases don't even really know the, their teams that well at this point. It's not like, you know, PC is going to bring in a couple guys who have been a part of the rivalry. Oh, remember when player A had the tip in at the buzzer or player B got up and took that charge and, and you know, uh, you know, threw up a, a, a fist pump in the air and got in the face of, of fans that were sitting there on the court. There's there's no context to the rivalry from from the past. There's there's nothing like Ish Leggett hasn't had any good or bad performance against PC. There's so many new faces on URI's side. It's all so new and so fresh that I think this is truly a new chapter in the rivalry. And I think um, it's just interesting that that it gets to be uh, played in Kingston here. Archie Miller said he would not have wanted to go to the AMP uh, for his first game against PC, and 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 that's that's completely true. It, it, it should be a fascinating game before we dive into the X's and the O's. I just think – there's it, it's so new for everybody around here um players the new face on the coaches the fan base it's just uh, i'm excited to see how it all plays out yeah last well, year's edition 6652 at the amp formerly known as the dunk uh breakout fred croswell 13 points 15 rebounds destroyed the mitchell twins all by himself uh game that was really ugly uh from the standpoint that neither team had much going offensively but it was a game that Providence, as they showed throughout the year, simply knew how to win games and got it done in any style imaginable. You or I was going to find a way to lose. And that's what they did throughout most of last year in any big game that they played. 
Um, but Maury, I think your point is a good one. This is very new. New players on both sides. Archie Miller, new coach on the URI side. Uh, you know, fascinating game for Providence from the standpoint that they need it. And, uh, you know, it's one that I think they're going to take very seriously after losing at TCU. Go ahead, Coy. Oh, well, I just I think it's a great point that that Maury makes in terms of saying that it is a new chapter in the rivalry, because part of that new chapter is Ed Cooley turning the page on his approach in this matchup and calling it what it is, which is an in-state rivalry. Yes, Uh, I thought that was very interesting the other night. Um, I mean, let's let's be honest. uh, And I, I think part of it is the fact that he has a. Uh, opponent on the other side, an opposing coach in Archie Miller, who he uh, is obviously close with, respects the heck out of. Mm-hmm. They've worked together in the past. There's a long history there. Um, and so I think that's that's part of it. Um, but I think also Ed is embracing the fact that, look, it's a, it's a great matchup for both schools. It is. Um, I, we know how this can be perceived. And it was in the past, probably by Coach Cooley, which was – this is this is the little brother. Um, you know, it's it's uh, honestly they, they would they would I think they would they would feel that way. Uh, we're in the Big East. Um, you know, we should win this game. Um, but, you know, all the hype that goes around it, everybody talks about it, whatnot. You know that Ed Cooley doesn't like going down to the Ryan Center. And to speak to your point, Bill, the, the thing that strikes me about the Ryan Center is you talked about the you know how great it is the atmosphere it's a structure of the the arena it's the structure it's on top of you you know i always think i always think of my my time working in bangor maine i was lucky enough there they they used to have the high school basketball tournament at the old bangor auditorium the place was it was an old place and the the stands were all wood and the structure was just it was just kind of like a v and when you packed the place, everything was on top of you. The noise was trapped. It was electric for those state championship games, for the right. goal ball, whatever. They built the, the beautiful new cross insurance you know, center up there. And it's a beautiful arena, whatnot, but it's a big arena. Everything's sort of modern, spread out. Sure, I'm sure it can get loud, but not like a gym that is on top of you. And that's what the Ryan Center is, the way the street seats are structured, the way the arena is structured. It's on top of you. And so when you pack that place with all of the hoops fans that care about anything in this state and have that that vitriol, that rivalry, that everything in it, it just makes for a tremendous atmosphere. And I think Ed has he tipped his cap to it and is like, look, I I I do. I I get it. I understand it. I understand the importance of it, whatnot. And it was he said it. He said privately he would probably recognize it that way, but publicly he was just like, no, it's another game. It's another game. It's another game. Right. Um, but there's, you know, there's too much history there. And I think the success that that Ed and Providence have had, it's like, look, embrace this. This is great. You know, this is this is fun. Um, you know, and if we win this game, we have the bragging rights for the year, whatever. And yeah, there's just there's too much history there now for him not to to call it a rivalry. And I just I think of some of the moments that that Maury was talking about from the past and the rivalry. You know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm thinking about Dan and Ed pointing at each other from across oh. the court at the Ryan Center. I'm thinking of all the uh, gestures that the roadie Ruckus was giving to Ben Bentel and Chris Dunn on the way out after the uh, after the tip in at the buzzer. Um, I'm thinking about. But I'm thinking about the opposite when Fats Russell broke out. This game was when Fats Russell was first on the map as a freshman. He beat PC. 
And I remember his post-game quote, Ian and I still use it in the office. Honestly, I had a ball. That's what he said. I had a ball. And it was like, I love this kid. This is gonna this kid's gonna be great. And obviously he's now one of the big names in, in roadie history, too. So it's it's a great rivalry for for all those reasons. And I'm glad that Coach Ed Cooley is recognizing it as well. <laughs> I mean, let's call it what it is. You know, Providence and and for Ed, you know, it's very nice of him to acknowledge this for his friend Archie Miller. It's very nice <laughs> uh of him to sort of build this up a little bit. But but let's be, you know, let's be clear-eyed about what this really is. For Providence. Ed's primary goal at Providence is to make the NCAA tournament. He's been very clear about that. He does not need to play Rhode Island to get to the NCAA tournament. He doesn't. Mm-hmm. He's got Big 12 games, Big 10 games, MTEs, and then he's got 20 Big East games. That's enough to build a resume for him. Rhode Island in a given year is not going to help him towards that end. Um, he loses this game, and he hears about it for a year or maybe two. Or if you lose to Brown, in their case, maybe a decade. He's still hearing about the game he lost at the Pizzatola Center, and there's a reason why he's never gone back there. The picture is still up in the entrance at the Pizzatola Center, right, right there for everybody to see. You know, so perception-wise, he doesn't win there. But Providence continues this series, not out of tradition. That's part of it, certainly. But it's great marketing for them. We're doing a yeah. special podcast about PCURI. It's the only non-conference home game they sell out every other year. You're not going to sell out Merrimack and Ryder and Columbia, and the nonsense that they have on the schedule this year. But if you bring URI to the AMP, you sell that game out. That's something you market. You get free exposure. The athletic department there, Steve Napolillo, they're very sharp people. They understand that that's free publicity. And so they're going to continue to play that. URI gives them a buzz that Brown and Bryant simply do not. That's why they're not on Providence's schedule, and URI is. Um, So you can talk about tradition and whatever else. It's big business in 2022-23. Playing URI makes business sense for them. And if the inconvenience of going to Kingston every other year, if that's the price to pay, you do it. Because if Providence is the program Ed wants to be, they're going to have better players and they should beat URI anyway. Yeah, and the Big East team, if they're competing for Big East championship, they should be winning that game and favored in that game. Yep. I think another reason why he he brings it up is is – it's a little bit of a wake-up call for his guys. It's an introduction to what they're about to walk into. You know, like we mentioned, they don't know what to expect. They know it's going to be like a Big East atmosphere. But Providence is still finding itself. Providence is still is still ironing out the kinks here early in the season. It's like, all right, we've underperformed here in the non-conference. This is a rivalry. You need to bring your A game. We have not performed and not lived up to expectations for the first few weeks of this season. It's time to go. Um, I think they would have understood that when they walk in the building and they go out for warmups uh, and they've got, you know, thousands of people there, you know, booing at them. But he says it on Monday during the, the, the zoom on the NIL collective with Archie Miller. So that, his guys, he come, he jumps way out ahead of it, and they know right after TCU, you got to buckle up, win or mm-hmm. loss in Fort Worth. It's go time. This isn't just like we're going to play like we're done our third tough game of the non-conference. Now we're going to go play a team that's similar to Albany, Manhattan, and and all their other cupcake games on their out of conference schedule. So I, I think it was a wake up call for these guys. I don't think he would have done it if. He had a senior 
or or if he had a ton of seniors on the team, if his team has had experience down there. I think it was a little bit of a marketing play, but also a big reason why a big chunk of the pie was to wake his guys up because and they knows. need it. They they need it obviously after yeah. that game. Uh, you know they have they have struggled so far in up games. They have guys who they were really going to rely upon this season underperforming. If you look at the TCU box score. The other night, Jared Bynum missed his first seven shots. He finishes one for eight, two points. He's really in a rut right now with his confidence and with his shooting. Noah Locke was dropped to the bench, came off the bench, no points, 0 for 2 from the field, uh, has two rebounds. His last game, he had one rebound, aside from his shooting stats. That's it. So he's not really giving you much of anything, and he was supposed to be a big piece here. They have Clifton Moore in the starting lineup the other night against TCU. They go to his own defense. They have Bryce Hopkins playing the three. The lineup's a little bigger. Clifton Moore gets 14 minutes, two points, two rebounds, three block shots. He's done. Doesn't really contribute in that game. Those are three veteran fifth-year guys who I know Ed Cooley was relying on coming into the year who haven't really shown much. And you know, I think this team is very talented individually. I just don't necessarily think that they've found fits yet. He feels good with Carter, Devin Carter on the floor, Bryce Hopkins on the floor, Ed Croswell's the natural five-man. But otherwise, they're struggling at the point, and they're struggling to decide whether or not they want to play Hopkins at the three and put a four-man in the lineup or play Hopkins at the four and put another guard in the lineup. I don't think they've found the solution to that equation yet. Maybe it's Jaden Pierre. He had 13 points for the second straight game. Maybe he's a guy who ultimately you can't deny anymore, and he moves into the starting lineup. Maybe wouldn't shock me entirely on Saturday if Jared Bynum goes back to his six-man role just to try to get a little more comfortable. Maybe similar to what you or I did with Brayon Freeman. You go to Jared Bynum and say, hey, buddy, listen. You're on the top of everybody's scouting report. Let's take a half a step back. You can come in after the first media timeout. We'll let you get comfortable watching the game a little bit. And then you can attack the way you did last year. You might not have their number one defender on you. Their whole scouting report might change after the first four minutes of the game if you're not clearly our number one option. And maybe you'll be able to work in the margins a little bit. But I think Ed Cooley and his staff are having these debates right now about how we want to play, how we want our personnel to work together. Through eight games, I still don't think they've really gotten close to finding that. Now, the search continues. Um, and and if it's me, Bill, I, I know it's bold. I, I like the thought there because my, my words were going to be, I know it's bold. I know it's the Ryan Center. I know we're talking about the rivalry and the atmosphere and everything that's coming along with it on Saturday. I start Jaden Pierre. I start him. The kid, the kid's good. I, I think you, I think you said it really, you know, well. And the fact that it's one of those, I don't think you can can deny it that he can be a contributor at this moment in time, right now. I know it's a big atmosphere. I know he's a freshman. I know, I think he's handled things well so far, and I feel like they feel that he's been a good contributor for them so far, and they need. They need guard. If, if Ed Cooley team is going to be successful, they need good guard play. And it's been, it's not been good so far. It really hasn't, at least recently. Um, it needs to be better. You know that Ed Cooley always, we talk about his teams and the most successful ones, they rely on their good guard play. And so far they haven't been able to, to get that. And so 
Is that where you turn? If it's me right now at this moment, I know it might be bold, but that's that's what I'm doing. I'm putting Pierre in the starting five. Are you, Cordy, are you putting him in instead of Clifton Moore or are you putting him in instead of Jared Bynum? That's a, it's a good question. Uh, maybe I probably would have said more before listening to what Bill just said. And I think what Bill just said might be pretty useful for Bynum. It might be twofold. Like, okay, you put Pierre in there. It's a good thing for your, you know, your starting five and getting things going on the right foot. But then do you put Bynum in and sort of his old role there a little bit, get him comfortable. Maybe I, maybe I start him over, over, Jared to to start. And that's not, again, it's not a knock on Jared. I think Jared is going to be a very important player for this team. Um, but I think, you know, Ed has hinted at the fact that it's, it's not really about who starts. It's about who finishes the game. And Jared's going to be one of those guys that like when he's right for this team, doesn't matter if he's starting, whatever, he's going to be a huge, huge piece. Um, but in this case, in terms of putting Pierre in the starting five, I just think, Right now, he's he may be one of your best five going, and so I think he needs to start on the floor for the game for the Friars. I think the best podcasts come when there are differing opinions, gentlemen. Interesting. <laughs> on Zoom, on Zoom here, we've got Koch as he's just nodding his head there with that little wry smile. I agree. Um, I think you two are off your rocker. (laughs) Yes. Let's go. I think there is no way that you could have Jared Bynum come off the bench. None. That that idea, if that even creeps into that coaching staff's mind, they're done. The season's over. Get Jared Bynum on the graduation stage. Get Ed Crosswell on the graduation stage and the other guys, and you might as well start preparing for 23-24. <laughs> wow. Really? I like it. You cannot because of what they've done the first few weeks. They've lost their three up games. They haven't necessarily been close, and I wouldn't even call the, the St. Louis game an up game. It was in an MTE. It's an A-10 team. They needed to win that game. They blew a 13-point lead. The only known you have on your team going on the road in a hostile environment is Jared Bynum. They need a good start. They played like crap to start against TCU. It's been a malaise against these other cupcake teams. If I saw them come back from Connecticut and blow the doors off the Merrimack in Columbia – Fine, I could see some type of scenario where everybody bought in, you played well, you righted the wrong, you still went to TCU, you lost to a team that's probably a top 25 squad, fine. I think you have to start Jared Bynum. I think you start Jaden Pierre over Clifton Moore. I think Jaden Pierre handles the ball. You get Bynum off the ball early. Devin Carter... Bryce Hopkins, Ed Croswell. Things don't go well with Pierre when you start him and he does not have Bynum to his left or right. Then you've shot his confidence. He comes to the bench early in a rivalry game on the road when he's going to be heckled. You bring Jared Bynum in. He's going to feel the pressure to try to make up 
whatever deficit it would be if they don't start out well. The crowd's going to be involved. And then that's how you get Jared Bynum off to another one for six, one for eight start. I like to start with start Pierre. I'm all on board with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jared Bynum has got to start. He's got to play 35 minutes. You have to see him through his shooting struggles. Just based on what the team has done the first eight games this year, based on Jared Bynum's performance last year, you're banking on the fact that he will turn it around, that he will turn it around. No way. If they if, if he starts the game on the bench, I will be floored. 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 Well, I think – look, I may, you make – Great points. Both of you guys make great points. Like I, I, my, my chief part of this argument was I think Pierre needs to be on the floor to start. Pierre. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. yeah. Um, and whether that's taking more out, I mean, more just got into the starting five with the TCU game. Like clearly they were trying something. <laughs> and I think my only point and backing up bill, I think was just the fact that you got to try something. Um, because it's whatever's going on right now. I think Maury, it's a great point. Like the scenario of how it could go wrong is is legit. That's that's absolutely legit. But you've you got to try something because yeah. it ain't it ain't working. Nothing's it, they're searching, and now, you have to keep searching. And yeah, and I, will I think say, like if it doesn't go right in Kingston, then maybe you do the Bynum scenario against Cupcakes, Albany, and Manhattan. You're probably going to win those games anyway. Right? Yeah, but when you really need this game, as as Kachi put it earlier, like if you if PC loses, that's a that's a bad loss. Like that's, yeah. there's no way around it. That's not a good loss. Yeah. I just don't think you can play with that fire because they've been um, not great to start the season. Yeah. No, but I just think, I think you have to be bold in terms of trying to do something here. Something's got to spark. And if it's, if it's Jared Bynum on the bench to start and taking a half step back, yep. I'm, I'm okay with that because yep. you, something needs to change because you're not getting what you need out of the guard position right now. Period. Except for the freshman, Pierre. Yep. That's where you're getting in. Yep. And th- this is how difficult it is. This is why I, t- I tell the coaches we cover. I don't want your job. Every, you, <laughs> right. you might think that media members want your job. I don't want your job at all because yeah. these are hard conversations. And it has nothing to do with uh, how you feel about the players or, or what you think about them personally. It's what they give you on the floor and how your decisions will affect them mentally. There were some guys who could accept a demotion and who could go into a lesser role. There were some other guys who were happy to be on the bench and might not be able to handle starting. You might look at them and say, that might be a little too much. Might not make him a starter. Let's just leave him in his current role where he's comfortable. It's really interesting. And you know that what we're doing right now is what's going on downtown as well in Providence practice facility. You know that those guys are trying to get it right. URI... Much different conversation. This could be an early marker for Archie Miller with this program. And Archie's been in some big games at the Ryan Center before with Dayton. I go back to his last year with the Flyers in 2016-17. Zarius Williams made two late three-pointers. I think it was a sellout crowd that night. Dayton stole a win from URI, who followed by losing to Fordham at home. It looked like Dan Hurley's fifth season was about to go off the rails. All they did from there was win nine in a row, win the A-10 tournament, and get within a couple possessions of beating Oregon to go to the Sweet 16. Archie Miller that night felt the Ryan Center the way it could be. He was on the other side of it. I don't necessarily know, though, if he got the full blast. I don't think URI fans ever hated Dayton. 
I think they hate Providence. <laughs> and I think that it turns it up. That you extra, think? You yeah, think they, they hate I think Providence? They do. <laughs> I think they do. And I think that turns it up, that extra 5 to 10%. And I wonder how much Archie will tell his guys or his staff, hey, let's play on that. Are we going to maybe pressure defensively a little bit? Are we going to try to get some live ball stuff, some energy plays, maybe more than we have in other games? Their last matchup was Boston College last Sunday, 53-49 loss on the road. It was a total rock fight. The two teams are four for 30 from three. You or I defended very well offensively, as Archie said, in his availability on Thursday. They're just not very good. They're not very good. They don't shoot the ball very well. Uh, they don't have a third scorer beyond Brayon Freeman and Ish Leggett. No one consistently in the front court they can rely on. They're just not there yet at that end of the floor. But in this type of game, you don't need to get to 70 a lot of times to win this game. You can make this ugly and chippy, and nasty, and that favors a home team like URI. So I wonder, very early on here in Archie's tenure, I wonder how much he's going to lean into this in the pregame and maybe try to get some edge out of his guys going into the Saturday tip. Yeah, interesting. Um, and the, and these, these sorts of – I think he will lean into it. I think he already probably has because – these games bring out guys that you don't expect. It's a very, it's a cliche thing to say, but it's so true. You know, I mentioned the Fats Russell game. You know, I think back to that because, you know, we we had heard about this highly touted guy that was coming in that Dan Hurley loved recruiting and wanted to bring in, was going to add a lot to the team. And I think we had seen some things from Fats going into that first PC game for him, but then it just, he fit. That was a game where it brought out his best he fit in that game. And, you know, I wonder who could it be for this game? Is there somebody that's going to step forward? I, I expect Freeman to take a lot of shots and, and create a lot of offense. I expect Ish Leggett to score. You know, he's been good so far for Rody. But who's that third guy? You know, who is going to be the one that steps forward? You know, maybe maybe this is a day where maybe Malik Martin is like, you know what? I'm going to – this is my time to shine. Haas has told me about this rivalry I'm going to play well. I'm going to put up a double-double. I'm going to, you know, hit the glass. I'm going to, you know, shove guys out of the way, and I'm I'm going to go to work. I'm going to put on my hard hat. Like, who knows? Um, but I think it's an opportunity for someone on this roster, probably behind Freeman and Leggett, to step forward. And for us afterwards, if they were to win this game, say, oh, wow, this kid's going to be pretty good for them. I think that's an opportunity. Yeah, we saw it out of Lou Hutchinson. Um, maybe it's him. Um, yeah. Maybe it's him. We got to see. Yeah, a few things I've written down about URI. Got to muck it up. Um, you, you've got to control the intangibles. They've got to, you know, limit turnovers. They get to the line an awful lot. You have to convert. Archie Miller talked about it on Sunday after the loss against Boston College. That's the difference between a win or a loss. Maybe just because you're at home, you're shooting in the comfy confines of the Ryan Center, a little bit different than playing on the road at Conti Forum where, you know, it was probably 36 degrees and with four people in the in the stands up there. Um, and then you just have to give yourself a chance. Just keep it close enough. Keep the Ryan Center involved. Keep the roadie ruckus going so that down the stretch in the fi- at the under eight timeout, when we look up at the scoreboard, if it's a two possession game, even if you are trailing, they still feel like they're in it. Um, you, you need to do that when, when, when you don't have the talent on paper, 
Um, and you need to do that when you're still learning one another um, here early in the season. I think we can definitely agree that if we put both teams together in a pool, and I know you know Bill loves to loves to say this and say, all right, go draft one team out of the rosters of these two squads. Who are you taking? I think it's a it's pretty consensus that it would be in no specific order: Hopkins, Bynum, Carter, one, two, three. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you could, maybe you could take Croswell four. Yeah. Maybe Croswell four, right? But yep. like at a minimum, it's one, two, three on paper. PC has the talent. So when you don't have the talent edge, you have to rely on your home crowd. You know, it's nice you can re- rely on the experience of your head coach. Archie's been in huge games. He dominated the league. He's been to an elite eight. Like, but there's only so much a coach can do from the sideline. He's going to put them in a spot to succeed, as he talked about all week, respecting the opponent, respecting a rivalry game. You got to go out there and do it. Got to keep the crown in it. Archie Miller, 2-0 and against Dave Cooley in his career. Oh! One at Dayton, one at Indiana. The first one at Dayton, very oh. painful for Friar fans. In the yeah, Was that the tournament game? It was. Oh! It was. Oh, my goodness. A nightmare uh, that, for Chris. That game. Uh, a nightmare for Chris Dunn, a nightmare for LaDante Henton. Uh, and a nightmare for the officials as well. It was. Because they were not great. It was a very late tip in Columbus. Uh, Friar fans were upset that Dayton was playing about 70 miles from campus. Uh, They were ignoring the fact that Dayton had played in the first four, needed overtime to win, had a late night on that Tuesday, and another late night, I think, on a Thursday, Thursday or Friday. Um, No, sorry, Wednesday and then Friday. Uh, Providence was a six seed. They should have won the game. They were favored. And they played one of the worst games of the season. Uh, One of the worst postseason games of Ed Cooley's tenure, frankly. They were dreadful. It was 66-53, and Dayton just completely bottled them up. And if any of those defensive principles could carry to this one, (laughs) you could see something silly uh, in the Ryan Center. Bill, um, I'll st- I still maintain to this day, though, I will say this. I'm not I'm not one to usually get on the officials, but a flagrant foul that early in the game on Chris Dunn. On Chris Dunn. It was bad. It was not It was not a good call, no. and it set the tone for the game. It did. And, look, the Friars should have won that game, but that's when people talk about how close it was to Dayton and the fact that that crowd was all red. That affected it, period. Yeah. That was a horrible call, and it set the tone for the game. Sure. But you still, still should have won it. Yeah, the, the the deck was stacked against them, and and Archie used that to to his advantage. And you know, you wonder what sort of pieces he has here. Uh, obviously, Brayon Freeman is broken out here. Uh, he's had 18, 21, and twenty one points his last three games. Uh, Ish Leggett has proven a reliable second scorer so far this season. He was really good in the Cayman Islands. Uh, you wonder if he can have a halfway decent shooting night in this one. Can any of the front court guys give them anything? Whether it's Joe Fatbalau or Alex Chiku. Or Abdu Sam. Can any of those guys contribute anything? Can we see, as Maury pointed out, Lewis Hutchinson? Can he make some shots from the wing in this game? You know, if he could get into double figures somehow, that would be huge for them. Um, you know, I look at Malik Martin, and I had some folks asking me, you know, is Malik Martin still hurt? Is his ankle still bothering him? His shots getting blocked, you know, quite frequently in the paint. I just think it's a product of Malik Martin being six four and a half and playing the four on this team at certain times. He is one of their best rebounders by percentage. Um, He is a guy who will stick his nose in, in the paint. 
Um, you know, so I don't necessarily think they feel like they have a choice. They value his toughness, his physicality. That gets him on the floor with Freeman, Leggett, and then a third player, whoever it may be on the perimeter, Hutchinson, let's say. Martin has to play the four. He has to mix it up inside. He's undersized, especially against a team like BC or Kansas State and Providence if they play a big lineup with Moore and Rafael Castro, Moore and Ed Croswell. Uh, they decide to put Hopkins at three. Martin's going to be undersized against that group. But he's going to play tough. And I think in this type of game, that carries. And he's going to get his minutes up front. Um, can you or I generate anything offensively, guys? Is, is there anything after six days off that you think they might be able to unearth in this one? Uh, we'll see. I, I think it's a it's a good point about the front court and, and where you need to turn. Um, I don't know. It's it's tough to it's like tough to pinpoint where it could come from. Right. Um, because I thought early on in the season, first, maybe the first game I, I looked at it and I said, oh, I think I think Chiku is going to be a guy there that's going to contribute. And that's kind of tapered off. But then Bilal comes in and he has a good game there in the Cayman Islands. And then that, you know, I, I'm not I'm not totally sure, Bill, to, to answer your question. Honestly, I, I don't know where it could could come from, but they got to find something there. Yeah, I think if the Friars go with Pierre a lot or to start. We've talked about defensively for the Friars, when you pair Bynum and Pierre, they're a little bit smaller, and maybe in the Big East that doesn't work. That might actually play into the hands of URI here, right? Because yeah. then maybe that gets Sebastian Thomas on the ball a little bit more. That moves Brayon Freeman off the ball. That moves Ish Leggett off the ball, and he can create for those two. Because I think I think you have to go to Leggett, you have to go to Leggett, and you have to go to Freeman. Um, there's just so many unknowns for URI outside of that that um, if they get really good guard play, then 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 they're going to have a chance to win here. Um, and then defensively for URI guarding Pierre and Bynum, I think that could help as well. Um, even when they do play three guards, maybe an undersized four in Malik Martin, and then you just go with your, your center. Um, that could help URI. I think, yeah, URI's got to go to the guards. Um, I don't think when you say unearth, I don't know if they can unearth anything to this point. I think it just has to continue to be a full team effort. It has to continue to be take care of the basketball, make the extra pass. Like when you make the extra pass and you and you you, you move the defense around, then guys are going to have the ball in the shooting pockets. They're going to be walking into shots. They will be on balance, on time. Like you have to win those margins to give yourself the best chance because you can't just say – player A, player B, take the ball and go make a play. URI doesn't have that. Archie Miller knows they don't have that. They might not have it for a couple more years. You have to see how this how this all shakes out. Could Brayon Freeman get you a bucket here or there? Sure. I don't think it's the most um, efficient way to score if you're URI. But if you if you buy in, I think I think the the way that you would unearth something is all right. Um, all of the the right way that Archie Miller has coached them so far for three weeks to get open shots, if that happens again, but the results are good where the shots go in as opposed to not go in, then it's like, oh, my God, you know, who's this URI team that's just out here and the ball's flying around the court? Like, we haven't seen this team. No, we have seen this team. You're just judging the first seven games on the results because there is – they've improved as much as a, of a, as a two-and-five team could. 
Yeah. Right. Like URI comes into yeah. this game at two and five. They're feeling good about themselves. Providence comes in at five and three and they don't feel good about themselves. Like URI has to just continue what it's done. And if the results change, if they make a lot of shots, then it's like, oh, wow. Okay. There's the potential. It would just be reaching the potential as opposed to somebody coming off the bench and going for 20 or 25. Right. It's it's not unearthing anything. It's sticking to the process and the process seeing more results, basically, is what you're saying. Yep. That makes total sense. It just, total con- sense. yeah, continu- continuing to get better. And that's what Archie said. He said, you know, sometimes when coaches go, you know, it's the toughest place to play in the country or, you know, we rebound the best in the country. Like there, sometimes it's a little bit of an exaggeration. But I, I, I do put some stock in when he says on Monday, like, the way that we've improved over the last three weeks, we have we can improve as much as any team in the country the next three weeks. There's some validity to that. Yeah. I do agree with him. They are better. I wonder if they are good enough or have improved enough to earn the nod from either you gentlemen. Prediction time. <laughs> I did the first game. Coy, you take the first you, you take the first crack. All right. Uh, yeah, to answer your question, have they made that much enough improvement to beat a PC team that is still searching? Uh, I'm going to say no. Um, I think PC wins this game. Um, you know, where, how they they do it, um, you know, that's interesting to me because I could go a few different routes with that because of this. I'm searching for an answer in my head to say, like, who's going to be the guy that steps forward for PC and wins them this game? Um, but I don't think it's there's a magic potion. Um, I think PC is going to continue to look for something. But hey, maybe in this game, you know, maybe they start Pierre and he and he goes for 20. Like, who knows? Um, maybe in this game, you know, they look at it and say, All right, we need to to feature Bryce Hopkins as much as possible. And maybe he gets 20. He had 17 on the road at TCU. Like Maybe it's one of those, but e- either way, I just I think at, at this point in time, even though the Friars are still looking for the right mix, the right combination, right rotation, uh, I, I think their talent wins out here. Uh, it's not going to be easy. The Ryan Center is going to be right behind this Rams team that I think is going to stay in it, and it's going to be a game into the second half. I don't see a runaway. Um, but I think PC ultimately, I'll say that the Friars, they probably, they win by seven, but maybe it's a couple late free throws that make it seven. It'll be like a two possession game, sort of like Maury had, uh, had hinted at. Um, yeah, I, I, I think, I, I think it's the Friars. Um, it's just been really hard to buy in early. Like it's been really hard. Oh, you want to, you want to do it. I can see it. You want to do it. No, I don't want to do it. No, I don't. I don't, I don't want to do it. Um, you don't know how the game is going to be played, but you do know the, the, the frame, the athleticism, the quote unquote star power that the PC brings. You do know that Devin Carter uh, is a shutdown defender that URI has not seen. Right. Bryce Hopkins is as good as advertised. Like, but sometimes then when all the arrows are, are pointing in one direction, you go the other way. I, I don't. I don't think this will be um, a blowout. I, I guess I, I could see PC run away with it a little bit late. 
if they put everything together, like if PC puts it all together and they're the team we thought they could, you know, think they can be in January and February, they happen to put it together on December 3rd out of the blue. Yeah. They probably win by, you know, eight to 10. Um, but again, if I were to put my cold, hard cash on the game, you gotta go, you gotta go PC. And I know last year I was so confident in covering that it was like a seven or eight point spread. And I was like, Oh, PC is going to win by like 14 or 15, whatever they won by. Like, I think they won by 13 or however many 12 at the end, at the end of last year. I just, yeah, there's just not enough there for me, you know, that URI has shown at this point. Um, I would be very confident in PC if this game is at the amp. Um, I do think the crowd plays a huge bigger than a bigger than normal like crowds always are big in rivalry games we know it's going to be jammed but because nobody has seen and nobody has felt and nobody has experienced this on either side player wise i think it it just adds so much more i think i think the crowd could be worth maybe two baskets you know four maybe five points which is a lot because that quickly brings it from pc to 10 close to 10 at home two, four, or five. Yeah. So Providence has a 61% chance of winning this game, according to Ken Palm. Uh, as we said at the top, it's, it's short odds. You know, it's going to be three, four, five points, somewhere in there. Uh, I would take the points. If it got up to five or so, I would take the points because mm-hmm. I think this is going to be really close. And if you are taking the points on that short line, whether it's three or four, you may as well take the money line and bet the dog. And in my case, I think the Rams can win this game. Oh, they can win it, no doubt. Are they you really saying? Do. Are you saying they will? I think they win this game. Wow, I He's do. Sticking with it. You said I it do. to me at the beginning of the year. I was wondering if you were going to stick to it. I want to pull up. I want to pull up the uh, the recording that I have on my phone from August twenty second. Yeah. <laughs> what he said what, it. What was said he there? Said it. <laughs> I I think they can win this game and, and I think it has it has more to do with the scenario than it does with the teams either way. Uh it's the first game in Kingston that's going to be fully attended since David Cox's first year. Um you know, I think we saw last year when Providence beat Texas Tech downtown. That was really the first game that was played that didn't have any restrictions. That crowd was so pent up and ready to release that energy. Providence wasn't going to lose that night. They just weren't. The game was so tight at the end. And granted, they're much better than this version of URI team. The current Providence team is much better than this version of URI team. They're much more talented. As Maury said, Devin Carter and Bryce Hopkins are, are far better than anyone URI has. But I think Providence right now is really struggling for synergy, really struggling for fits. And I don't think this is the venue or the game where you find those things. Traditionally, offense is hard to come by in this matchup. Um, I think defense, desperation matter more here. And I think URI is closer to being something worthwhile at that end of the floor than Providence is right now. If you look at who the Friars are, they're in the bottom 20 nationally in three-point defense. That's so far away from a typical Ed Cooley team. So, so far away philosophically. They've got two or three guys in their starting five and on the floor at a given time 
who just don't guard to his principles previously. That's been the backbone of Providence. Throughout all these NCAA tournament teams, Big East Championship, Big East Conference Championship, its teams have never played particularly pretty offense, but they've been able to hang their hats at the defensive end. And right now, even as poor as URI's offense is, I don't see Providence coming out and just putting them in the torture chamber and holding them in the 40s. I don't see a way to do that. I see URI getting this game in the mud with the help of the crowd, with Archie Miller being an upgrade on the sidelines, X's and O's from David Cox. And I see this game being either in the 50s or low 60s, and I think URI can nip it by two or three points. I really do. Yeah, I'm with you. I think this is like a live bet special here. Like if PC <laughs> get off to a, a, just a little bit of a lead, man, I'd take URI in a second at at, at like seven and a half live. Um, but yeah, I would not be shocked in the least, in the least, if URI wins this game. Not at all. The gap is not because because it's in Kingston. Yeah. No, think, the crowd. Think, the crowd right. If the, the game's arena. at the amp, URI has no chance. They get blown out. No, and yeah. you still might take the points with URI at the amp in this scenario because of everything they've bought in with Archie Miller when they come on the road. No doubt. I'd probably take URI plus nine before the game started if it was at the amp. Yeah. But no question. Yeah, sure. no, throughout the game. That's why that's why they got to give themselves a chance. They got to keep it close. Woo! So there we have it, folks. We have thrown gasoline on the rivalry fire here uh, with this special edition of the pod. We thank you all for listening and for joining us. We hope you make it out to at least one of these, if not both of these, uh, this weekend, because it is a special occasion for our state to have these teams playing each other. Uh, It's something that we don't take for granted, for sure. Gentlemen, thank you as always. Thank you all very much.